Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Leave a review on Podchaser. Uh, you can leave a review for this episode, or you can leave a review for the show as a whole. You could do both. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and if you figure out the code, leave a review on Stitcher. Then give me the code. Because I don't know how to leave a review on Stitcher. <sighs> Chapter 5. It's amazing how many peer into a casket, but never check to see if the person inside is breathing. Monroe. Wait. Isn't that what... Yeah. That's literally what Estes said. I don't know. I, I can't. I can't right now. Monroe's hands gripped the steering wheel of Carter's BMW 745 as he made his way across town. I'm in my 745. Hope I can't come swoop you up around 745. Sorry, it's a bop. You gotta check it out. Whew, man. It's Vince Staples, by the way. I wasn't just gonna leave you with that blurb and then not let you know where to find it. It's Vince Staples, 745. Life seemed surreal now that he was home and reunited with his fractured family. The streets had most definitely changed, and Monroe was slowly realizing that taking over his family's empire wouldn't be as simple as he had anticipated. His entitlement to his father's empire was being ignored, and Monroe knew that it would be a battle to regain his position within his own family. He would have to go get his spot, but in the meantime... He would have to make some power moves independently. Wait, what? Wasn't his job in the first book to just sit back, be quiet, and run the uh, real estate company? Now that you're back, do the same thing. Like they literally said, uh, Carter and Polo both said, we need a face that has no crimes, no no convictions, no, no arrests to be the clean face of the company, right? He has some old business to attend to. His life had been left hanging in the air, but now that he was back, it was time to settle his affairs. It was apparent that life had moved on without him, and that he had missed a lot in the time he was gone. What should have been handed down to him was placed in Zaire's lap, and money felt slighted. Zaire wasn't blood. He had no right to the kingdom that his father had built from the ground up. Money wasn't in the beef, but he fully intended on taking over the cartel. It was his destiny that had the infamous dynasty, and no matter who stood in the way, he would take his place as king of Miami. It was only a matter of time. 
did him getting shot change his mindset? Like his 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 rationale, like his attitude, because this isn't very laid back. Jameson Wilds was the most respected accountant in all of Miami. Money man to the stars, he was known for keeping everyone out of the crosshairs of the IRS. From kingpins to ballplayers and entertainers, his clientele was the elite of South Beach. If you were in the seven-figure gentleman's club, then you were smart enough to be a client of Jamison Wilds. Money had been groomed for business ever since he was a young boy. He had a knack for the money flip, and his father made sure he had taught Monroe the value of a dollar. Niggas hadn't shortened his name to money for nothing. He was about his paper, and there was a large sum left unclaimed when he had disappeared that he had to retrieve. He walked into the high-rise building and took the elevator to the top floor, where the penthouse office suite sat overlooking the ocean. Jameson's company occupied the entire floor, making up an impressive modern space. When money entered, his presence easily overpowered the room. The Italian designer suit was tailored to his medium build perfectly, and he adjusted his slim tie as he stepped towards the receptionist. The young woman's eyes dissected him as he approached. His handsome face and penetrating stare had her dumbfounded as she struggled to find the words to greet him. Um, hi, um, do you have an appointment? she asked. Monroe shot the girl a charming smile and thumbed the bridge of his nose arrogantly as he said, No. But let Jamison know that Monroe Diamond is here to see him. The girl picked up her phone and paged Jamison's line, delivering Money's message. She frowned in confusion as she put her hand over the receiver. I'm sorry, what's your name again? There seems to be some kind of confusion, she said. Tell Jamison there's no confusion. My name is Monroe Diamond, he answered. The girl removed her hand and said, He says he's Monroe Diamond. Moments later, she hung up the phone, giving him an uncomfortable smile and reported, He'll be right with you. A flustered Jameson emerged from the back. Vanessa, there has to be a mistake. Monroe Diamond is very much alive and well, Monroe finished as he stood to his feet and extended his hand to his accountant. Jameson's eyes widened in shock and his face turned pale. What's wrong, old friend? You look as if you've seen a ghost. Jameson finally accepted Monroe's hand and shook it firmly. Monroe, forgive me, I thought... Let's step into your office, Monroe said, taking control of the situation. Vanessa, clear Jameson's schedule for the rest of the day. We have some business to discuss. You ain't clearing my calendar for me. Not if it... Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You ain't... Nah. J- Vanessa, don't clear shit. You know the you know the signal, right? Tap, tap. Two taps means give this nigga 30 minutes and then call the cops. Look through the window to see if he shot me yet or slipped my throat or something like that. He's a fucking diamond. Matter of fact, three taps means send that drone. Send that drone up to the outside window to stare in at shit. You better be watching, too. It's good for iPhone and Android, so you ain't got no excuse. Monroe entered Jamison's office and walked behind the desk to take in the beautiful ocean view. Shades of turquoise and blue filled his vision as he admired the scene. I see business is good, Monroe commented. I thought you were dead. I came to the funeral. How? Jamison stammered as he watched Monroe take a seat behind his desk. 
Jameson sat in the visitor's chair, completely thrown by the ghosts of yesterday's past that had just re-entered his life. The funeral was an illusion to trick the enemy and keep me safe. It's amazing how many peer into a casket but never check to see if the person inside is breathing, Monroe stated and stole from his grandfather. I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here for my money. He leaned in and folded his hands across the Brazilian wood desk. The money is unavailable, Jameson said timidly. Unavailable? My five million dollars that I put in your hands is unavailable? Monroe asked. His voice was so cold that it froze Jameson in his seat. He dared not to blink or move. He could see the anger burning in Monroe's eyes. I... I... I thought you were dead. The money was just sitting there. Sitting there, Monroe questioned. So instead of taking my money to my grieving mother, you did what with it? I... I invested. Money's eyes turned dark. You invested my dough? There's a new pharmaceutical company that's created a new drug. It's not FDA approved yet, but it's only a matter of time before it happens. The money is tied up in a stock. When the FDA approval comes through, I could turn $5 million into 50 overnight, Jameson explained nervously. Monroe was slightly irritated that Jameson had tied up his money without his permission, but he had to admit it was a move that he would have made himself if given the opportunity. If things went according to plan, the flip on Jameson's investment would be crazy. The potential gain didn't help his current financial state, however. Monroe wasn't foreplaying the little nigga in Carter's camp. He didn't need anyone trying to sun him with handouts. He needed cash now. Open the account to your business, Monroe instructed. Excuse me? Jameson asked. Monroe, I don't think my company's earnings has anything to do... Monroe leaned back and opened a suit jacket giving Jameson a slight glimpse of the 9mm he had holstered underneath. Jameson began to sweat as his body temperature rose. You can bring me into your business, or I can focus on how you've mishandled mine, Monroe said calmly. Jameson stood and rubbed his goatee as he walked around to the computer. He opened up his personal files, and Monroe was pleased to see the business was flourishing. Jameson was bringing in more than $3 million per year and had a business line of credit worth seven figures. Until I have that $50 million in my hands, you've got a new business partner, and the split is 60-40, Monroe said. Is that a problem for you? Jameson shook his head. Monroe stood and checked the presidential on his wrist. I've got to go. I'm glad we could work this out peacefully. I'll expect my name to be added on all the accounts by morning and clear this office. It's mine now. Let this be a lesson to you, Jameson. The next time, you won't touch what doesn't belong to you. Monroe exited, and Jameson breathed a sigh of relief, letting out a slight whimper. He knew that things could have ended very badly for him. Sacrificing a piece of his business was a minor punishment in the grand scheme of things. Standing at the site where her loved ones were buried caused Breeze to tremble as tears glided down her cheeks. She stood in the land of the dead. The cemetery always seemed so cold. Even if the sun was out, a coldness always overcame Breeze when she visited the resting place of her loved ones. As she stood in front of her parents' tombstones, a cold chill ran up her spine. 
She was so grateful for her life and so very happy to be reunited with Monroe. Her father, her mother, and Mecca lay side by side, resting eternally. She wished that she had come from a normal family, with a blue-collar pops and a hard-working housewife. How the fuck is that normal? A hard-working housewife? What? <sighs> okay. How about with two hard-working parents who both did the chores in the house? No? Too much for you? A hard-working housewife. Okay. Being the child of the first family in the streets had its perks. But the downside was much worse. The violence that came with the title made Breeze yearn for regularity. I miss you all, she said. Breeze turned around when she heard a car door close and smiled warmly when she saw her brother's face. He approached her and Breeze reached up to touch his face. I can't believe you're back, she said. I love you so much, Money. I'm so sorry you had to come back to nothing. Things got really bad after Papa died. So is Papa Estes or is Papa Big Carter? Because they're throwing Papa around rather loosely. Because Papa talked to Money and told him everything that was going on. Shouldn't they just call him Big Papa or were they cautious about lawsuits? How did Carter let this happen? Monroe asked. The war with the Haitians crippled us, Money. There wasn't much any of us could do, Breeze whispered. Matisse's face flashed in her mind and sent a shiver down her spine. She quickly shook the bad memory from her thoughts as she continued. I come here sometimes just to talk to them. I feel like they can hear me. I almost died and I saw them. I saw you too. We were sitting at a table, all of us. Me, you, Papa, Mama, Mecca. We were happy. We were in paradise. Money finished. He knew exactly what she had seen, because he had seen it too. He was sure that there was life after death, and that his family was waiting for him on the other side. But he wasn't dead. He was in a coma. In fact, the doctor said clearly he's going to survive like as soon as he got shot. He's good. He's just in a coma. Breeze looked at him and nodded as emotion overtook her. She sniffled as she wiped her eyes. Yeah. They're in paradise. They're watching over us, Money, Bree said. There's so much hurt in our past. Now I want to bring you some joy. I want to introduce you to your future. You're talking in circles, Breeze, Monroe said as he kissed her forehead. It'll all make sense soon. There's something you need to know. Lena fidgeted nervously in the mirror as her son played at her feet. Butterflies danced in her stomach. She had so many questions that she wanted to ask, but her brain didn't work at the moment. A ball of tension and nerves, she tried to calm herself, but there was no use. She was about to see the man she loved, the twin who had stolen her heart from the very first time she met him. Their situation had always been messy. She was Mecca's girl, but now things had changed. Mecca was gone, and Lena bore Monroe's son, a son he didn't even know existed. What if he doesn't want me, she asked herself. She gripped the edge of the vanity and lowered her head. God, please let him want me. Let him want us. A knock at the door forced her to gain her composure, and she inhaled deeply, then exhaled slowly. Come in, she said. Zaire cracked open the door, and her son jumped up to run to him. Zaire's exterior was so serious and focused, but when he interacted with baby Monroe, 
he always softened. Lena was grateful for men like Zaire and Carter. They had been the only male figures her son had known, and they took their roles in his life very seriously. They're here, Zaire announced. Lena nodded and ran her hands over her dress, then made her way to the door. She grabbed her son from Zaire, and he gave her a reassuring nod as she walked by, headed to meet her long-lost love. She saw him before he ever knew he had an audience. He stood just as powerful as she remembered, with his shoulders squared, hands tucked into his designer slacks as he waited patiently in the foyer. By the time he noticed her, tears were flowing down her face. Lena, he whispered as she descended the steps. His heart fluttered from her presence, but even in his brother's death, he still felt guilt from the fact that she used to belong to Mecca. Hello, money, she said. His eyes drifted to the little boy that she held in her arms. She adjusted her son so Monroe could see his face. I'd like you to meet your son. Breeze and Zaire stood off to the side. Holding on to each other as they watched Monroe's heart persona break down. My son? He repeated. His brow creased as he examined the child. He immediately knew her words were true. He was staring at a mini version of himself. The little boy was a spitting image of his father, and Monroe ran his hand down his face, overwhelmed. He truly was being given a second chance at life. Yes, he had lost so much, but with the birth of one little person, he felt restored. A son was more than he deserved. He took the little boy into his arms and held on to him tightly as he fought the emotion that was threatening to spill out of him. He couldn't imagine how hard her life had been in the time he had been gone. She had buried him and had chosen to keep his seed knowing that he would never be able to help raise him. His love and appreciation for her doubled in that moment. She was a good woman, a woman he deserved. He pulled Lena close and whispered in her ear, Thank you. I can't believe that you're here. I pray for God to bring you back to me so many times, Lena whispered. I haven't always done right by you, Lena. And for that, I'm sorry, he said. Monroe could see years of insecurity and hurt in Lena as she stared into his eyes. He had put those things on her heart by forcing her to keep their relationship a secret. In an attempt to spare his brother's feelings, he had destroyed hers. And yet she still kept his child when she could have easily gotten rid of any memory of him. When the world had put him to rest, Lena kept him alive by giving him the greatest gift, a son to continue his name. My son, Monroe whispered in awe as he kissed his mini replica on the cheek. He was in a state of disbelief, but his heart had never felt so full. He wondered if his own father had felt the same way when he had first laid eyes on his own children. Pack your things. I'll be back to get you and my son tonight, Monroe said. I feel like when you walk out of that door, you'll disappear again, Lena said as she lowered her head and gasped in emotional turmoil. She knew that there was no guarantee that Monroe would end up with her, but she needed him to take charge in her son's life. A boy needed his father and she would fight for the chance for her son to know his. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of people I know who didn't have a father in their lives, whether it was by choice, by death, whatever it may have been. 
and other men didn't always step in and they turned out just fine. I mean, the idea of having to have a two parent family is nice and all, but it's not accurate. And I know plenty of people who have lived with single moms their whole life and turned out more empathetic, more open minded and more honest than a lot of folks I know who had a dad in their life who taught them toxic masculinity at a very young age. So, yeah. There's nothing on this earth that can stop me from coming back for you. I just have to make a few arrangements. I'll be back before you can even miss me, ma. Monroe assured. That's how I know he was in a coma because he still says ma. Lena nodded and then took her baby from him before ascending the steps. Monroe gathered himself and then turned towards Breeze and Zaire. Thank you, Breeze, for keeping her close and taking care of my son when I couldn't, Monroe said. Of course, Money. She's a part of this family now, Breeze replied. We wouldn't have had it any other way, Zaire spoke up. Monroe turned towards Zaire, and his face soured in contempt. He gave Zaire a cold stare, but didn't acknowledge him with words. The tension placed an uncomfortable aura over the room, and Monroe scoffed and sucked his teeth in irritation as he walked past Zaire and out the house. What the fuck? Like, where'd this... You were dead, nigga. Like, if you want to be mad at somebody, be mad at your grandfather, your papa. But you were dead. What do you want them to do? You weren't built for that part of the life anyway. Why are you mad? His taste for Zaire was evident, and had he been any other nigga, Zaire would have bodied him for the disrespect. Zaire tightened his jaw, reminding himself that Monroe was his brother by law. He would have to use patience when dealing with Monroe. He's been through a lot, Zaire, Bree said as she rubbed her husband's face. Give him some time to come around. Our father didn't like outsiders, and to him, you're a new face. Zaire could see the concern on his wife's face, and he kissed her lips tenderly. Don't worry yourself, baby girl. We're all on the same team, he said. The words were true, but he knew that Monroe didn't see it as such, and treachery from within was not an option. Zaire would cut the cancer out before he ever let it spread. He just hoped that it didn't come to that. He made a mental note to place a phone call to Carter to see if he could bring his newly revived brother into the fold. The smell of new leather permeated Monroe's senses as he pushed his brand new Maserati off the lot. He spared no expense when it came to the whips he pushed. Wait, no, what? That was him in the last chapter. I know because I replayed when I read it in the first book. I didn't want to read it again because why? But he never felt comfortable in flashy cars. And he didn't want to be in Mecca's Lamborghini because he didn't like flashy cars. So why is he... Sparing no expense when it came to the whips he pushed. Like, you don't want flashy. He enjoyed the feel of the engine as it leapt underneath the hood while he pressed his feet on the brake, gunning the gas simultaneously. The car leapt as if it was a pit bull on a leash as Monroe floored his new toy. He checked his rearview mirror and saw that Carter followed him in the brand new Mercedes GL he had caught for Lena as well. Monroe was determined to establish a new life, an affluent life for his family and Lena was a permanent part of his world now. A car and a home were the least he could provide for her. 
With the help of Carter's realtor, Francesca, Monroe found a still of a property in a posh, secluded neighborhood of Coral Gables and a condo on Aventura. He could never have too much real estate. He would put Lena up in a large estate and use the condo whenever he needed to be closer to the action of the city. He pulled into his new home, opening the security gate, and drove down a long driveway until he was finally in front of the massive mansion. Carter pulled up behind him and got out of the car, approaching money as he looked around. Lena's going to love this money. I'm proud of you, bro. This was a good choice for your family. It's damn near perfect, Carter said as he admired the lush greenery and elaborate fountain that sat in the center of the circular driveway. I've got to pipe it out with security. Cameras, motion sensors, a guard at the front gate, the whole nine. I'm not sparing any expense on Lena and Monroe Jr.'s safety, Monroe said. He was jumping headfirst back into the streets, which meant his family would be a constant target. He was aware that they were his only vulnerability. A smart man would remain single and bear no children. A hustler with nothing to lose was the only one who could win in a concrete jungle. I've got a guy who can help you out. I'll have him give you a call, Carter offered. The men circled the property to check out all the exterior features of the home. My father made sure that I grew up in a house like this. Grand, magnificent, and most of all safe. I had no worries as a child, and I want the same for my son. This is the first step, and despite what you may think, you don't have to protect him alone, Carter replied. Your family is my family, and is Zaire's family. He has uncles who love and care about him. So in the event that something happens to you, your family will always be protected. No offense, Carter, but Zaire's your man. I don't know him like that, Monroe said. I don't extend the same amount of confidence in him that you do. Carter stopped walking. I want to make sure that you and Zaire iron out whatever differences you have. He's my brother, Monroe, as are you, and that means you two are linked by a common thread. You just have to get used to there being someone new inside of your circle. Don't worry. Zaire has passed my test of loyalty time and time again. He'll pass yours too, I'm sure. Carter replied. Monroe didn't respond as he drifted deep into his thoughts. Carter patted his brother's back and said, Trust me, money. Monroe nodded and slapped hands with Carter, embracing him before they went their separate ways. Where are we going? Lena asked as she sat shotgun next to Monroe. Just sit back and enjoy the ride, Lee. Monroe responded as he steered the car with one hand and held her hand with the other. Wait. I thought Lee was Mecca's personal. <laughs> he thought that that was his personal nickname for Lena, but Money was using that too. Like, also, it's a pretty common nickname for Lena. Like, a lot of people probably call her Lee. Like, you're not special, Mecca. You're just dead. Lena admired Monroe, watching him as he nodded his head to Jay Z's classic anthem, Can I Live? They drove 45 minutes out of the city until they pulled up to her soon-to-be residence. Monroe entered a code into the keypad and the gate opened, allowing them access. Whose house is this? Lena asked as they pulled up to the front entrance. Monroe got out of the car as Lena looked around and watched him walk around the car to her door. He opened it and held out his hand. Reluctantly, she took it. 
This is your house, a place where you and my son can always call home, Monroe said. Lena's hand shot to her mouth, covering it in shock. This is not my home. This house is mine, she shrieked in disbelief as her eyes scanned the massive gift. Monroe removed the keychain and held it up for her. It's yours, Lena. And so was that. He pointed the key to the bins that sat in front of the attached garage. And Lena couldn't contain her happiness. She actually laughed because the smile wasn't enough to express how much joy she felt. For so long, she had depended on others to take care of her. First, Estes. Then Breeze and Zaire. She was always dependent on someone else. And she never had a place to call home. Now Monroe was offering her something that was hers. Something that she could decorate. Something that she ruled. He had given her a kingdom of her own to do with what she wanted. So what does this mean for us? She asked. It means that I want to take care of the ones I care for. Things have always been complicated between us. You understand more than anyone else's sense of loyalty that I have for Mecca. Death doesn't erase that. I still feel like loving you is wrong, Monroe admitted. Lena lowered her head and shook her head at the statement. That's a lot. Lena lowered her head and shook her head at the statement. Just like that, Monroe had taken her into her past. Her past of being torn between two brothers, loving them both but wanting one more. They had been like night and day. Just because it's not right doesn't make it wrong, money. I loved both you and Mecca. I was in love with you and your brother too. Loving my man and his brother too. Mecca and I had a thing. We tried to make it work after you died. He helped me with Monroe. He was there when I needed him. And I loved him because he understood that I loved you too. He accepted the fact that I was, am, will always be torn between two great men. When I look at our son, I see you both. Mecca was high the night that he caught us. He wasn't in his right state of mind, Money. He would have never sent bullets flying our way if he had been. He loved me, yes, and I loved Mecca. He will always have a place in my heart, but nothing can ever compare to the way I felt when I was with you. I can tell you that love has no rules, Monroe. It isn't so black and white, Lena said. Monroe nodded his head. It's gray, he responded as he kissed her lips. Lena pulled away and peered up at him. I won't love you, Mecca, or anyone else in secret, Money. I've been down that road, and I won't do it again. I love you, and I want you. I want you to live here with me and to raise our son with me. Monroe stepped back from her and put his hands in his pockets. You don't know what you want, Lena. You say you had this do-over with Mecca, that you loved him and he accepted your faults. Well... Let me ask you, Lee, if Mecca was still alive, which one of us would you choose? He asked. I mean, she was she was cheating on him with you. So I would think the answer would be you. Probably, but you probably shouldn't ask that question. Lena's chest heaved as her stomach nodded. There was a faded question. Which brother did she love more? This was the showdown that had been postponed for years. They were airing out all of their issues. Issues that have put tension between them since day one. Tears filled her eyes, but she didn't let one fall. I've always chosen you. You just never had the courage to choose me back. You wanted me to be a private affair. 
You had me in the street strutting on Mecca's arm, but you were the one in between my legs at night. Do you know how that made me feel, Money? I felt like a plaything, like your whore, Lena shot back. Money looked at her in exasperation. You were never my whore, Lena. You were the classiest chick I'd ever met. <laughs> you were never my whore, Lena. You were the classiest chick I ever met in my entire life. There's a better way to say it, homie. The only one fiery enough to handle my hot-headed brother, but the only one beautiful enough both inside and out to intrigue me. Mecca needed you more than I did. That's why I never wanted you to leave him. You made my brother better. You made him happy. He just didn't know how to show you, but he always told me. My whore? Nah, you weren't my whore, Lena. You were the love of my life, ma. What the fuck? Monroe said. But I never felt that you truly chose me over Mecca. The two of you together weren't perfect, but on the off day when you were, the entire city saw how you both shined. On those days, jealousy ate me up inside. You were his bitch, Lena. You would have never chosen me. You asked me to tell Mecca about us, but you were asking for something that you didn't really want. If you wanted it, then you would have stopped fucking with Mecca on your own. You chose him. Yeah, because you were his bitch. I loved you, but when y'all were together, you were clearly his bitch. Bitch. I wanted you, Lena snapped, feeling angry, overwhelmed, and vulnerable all at once. Then prove it, Monroe said, his voice calming. He pulled a black satin box out of his pocket and got down on one knee. That is not the conversation you want to have the lead into, will you marry me? Lena's eyes widened in surprise as her tears now made a trail down her cheeks. Marry me, he said. Lena was speechless. She got on her knees in front of him and clasped his wrists as she looked at the flawless princess cut diamond and platinum ring. Really? She asked in disbelief. You will make me a very happy man, Ma. Monroe replied, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't not make fun of that. You'll make me a very happy man, Ma, Monroe replied with a charming, crooked smile. Lena nodded her head as she smiled happily. Yes, Monroe Diamond, I will marry you. Chapter 6 You need to leave Miami. Disappear. If you don't, the next time we cross paths, I will cut your fucking head off. A ghost from her past, Mecca Diamond. Mia Moore closed her eyes and retreated inside of herself as her body endured the brutal beating Fabian put on her. Physically, she was present, but her mind was a million miles away. Detached from the reality that loomed over her, Mia Moore no longer felt the pain. Each blow was absorbed into a woman who was mentally and emotionally drained. This had been her entire life. Death. Destruction. She was a terrorist, and out of all her years on this earth... She had never known true happiness. A killer by nature, she had been so focused on revenge, on efficiency, on the money, that she had never truly lived. Mia Moore was well acquainted with death and the ills of the world, but she knew nothing about life. Fueled by her thirst for revenge, she had hunted Mecca relentlessly. But as she sat looking into his eyes, 
she couldn't help but wonder if it was all worth it. In this final moment, it all felt so pointless. In a normal life, he was supposed to be the brother of her future husband. They were supposed to be connected by a man they both loved dearly, but her existence was far from normal. Her world was not so black and white, but instead, a shade of gray where nothing made sense to her but green and red, money and blood. Mia Moore's head hung low as her chin hit her chest. Visions of young Carter filled her mind as her soul slipped slowly away. Her heart ached to sorrow as she remembered his smile, his confidence, his energy. She recalled how it felt to fall head over heels for his undeniable charm. It was his face that kept her mind strong as her body began to fail her. Mia Moore knew that if she let Mecca into her head, then she conceded defeat. He could beat her until no breath flowed through her body, but he would never conquer her mentally. She wouldn't allow it. Her cunning wit was what separated her from the average chick. She had always been able to outthink those around her. Prideful and ruthless, Mia Moore couldn't be conquered, but Mecca was determined to make her break. With every vicious blow that Fabian dealt, she forced herself to take it. Her body was painted in red as if Basquiat himself had used her as his canvas. Blood flowed from her wounds like water as the irony of her impending death haunted her. Mecca stood in the background watching intently as Mia Moore was tortured slowly. The average man would have given in to the pain by now, but Mecca could see in Mia Moore's eyes that she would not give her life up easily. She didn't want a quick death. She wanted to feel until she couldn't feel anymore. For the first time ever, Mia Moore was realizing how valuable life was. She was saddened that her value had been wasted. The way that she had led her life would not earn her a spot in paradise, but somehow it earned everybody else in the Diamond family a spot. Go fucking figure. Her eternity would be spent in hell, and it was a fate that she feared. A tiny voice inside of her told her to beg, plead, and bargain for her life, but the killer she had become wouldn't allow it. She was overdosed on pride and refused to ruin the hood legacy that she had built by dying on her knees. She had lived by a code that only a murderer could understand. When the streets recounted her story, she wanted them to speak the truth. She was ruthless and calculating, even when staring into the eyes of the Grim Reaper. No one, not even Mecca Diamond, had been able to break her. Mia Moore was the greatest to ever do it, and she refused to let Mecca take away her power. You fucking heartless bitch, Fabian see through gritted teeth as he pulled her head back. She felt the cold kiss of the gun as it met the back of her skull, and tears involuntarily welled in her eyes. Fabian's finger danced on the trigger. There weren't many people who could kill without remorse. It was a specialty that Mia Moore and Mecca had perfected. Put the bitch down and get it over with. I'm bored with this shit, Mecca stated, his voice sending chills of hatred up and down Mia Moore's spine. Fuck you waiting for, nigga. Fabian looked up at Mecca the unsteady grip on his pistol giving away his uncertainty as his hand shook slightly. You still scared of this bitch? She's tied up and you the one with the gun, but she still got you shook. Pull the fucking trigger, Mecca ordered, shaking his head in disgust. Fabian stood, his lean torso shaking as his bottom lip trembled in uncertainty. I, I can't, he admitted. Boom! Without warning, Mecca sent a bullet through Mia Moore's shoulder. Ah! 
Fuck you mean you can't make a bark to Fabian. See? It's simple. Boom! With precision, he sent another shot in Mia Moore's direction. This time, hitting her midsection. Ah! She howled through gritted teeth as she balled her fist tightly. The bullet ripped through her organs, making it feel as though she was on fire. Fabian backpedaled until his heel hit the bottom step of the basement. He was in over his head. Fabian dabbled in the streets every now and then, but he wasn't major. He had never led the lifestyle that Mecca had and knew nothing about this heartless side of the game. Revenge sounded so sweet, but when it came down to it, Fabian couldn't put in the work. As Mia Moore gasped for air, Fabian shook his head back and forth. Jailhouse blues filled his soul as he became overwhelmed by the possible consequences of his actions. Suddenly, he wanted no part of this murderous plot. Mecca turned towards Fabian, and before he even realized it, Fabian was hightailing it up the steps. Mecca smirked as he saw Fabian run out of the basement. Pussy-ass nigga, Mecca scoffed, making a mental note to handle Fabian later. Mecca didn't leave loose ends. Fabian was a liability, and it was imperative that he was removed from the equation. Mecca was leaving zero witnesses, but first, Mecca was going to enjoy his final round with Mia Moore. Now that there's no cowards in the room, the real fun can begin, he taunted. Mecca grabbed the metal chair off the floor and circled Mia Moore. The chain scratched the floor like nails on a chalkboard, causing the hairs on the back of her neck to stand. Mecca examined Mia Moore as she struggled to lift her head. Her eyes followed him back and forth as he paced the concrete floor. He stopped and knelt directly in front of her, waiting to see the fear creep into her eyes. But when he stared at her, all he saw was acceptance and regret. He wrapped the thick chain around her neck. His heart beat furiously inside of his chest as he thought of avenging the death of his mother. He had waited so long for this moment that it made his dick hard. I want to shoot you so bad. My dick's hard. Mia Moore was like a rare specimen. The cartel warred with a thousand armies before her. But somehow, she had been able to dismantle their entire operation. One woman had annihilated his entire family. The empire that the Diamond family had built was standing on its last leg. She had destroyed the infamous Miami cartel. Mecca hated her existence, yet envied her efficiency all at the same time. She was thorough and conniving, professional and about her paper. No mark had ever been too big to hit. If the money was right, then she had no problem making it rain bullets. No questions asked. She was a grim reaper. Mecca lived by the gun and knew that one day he would die by it as well. As he looked at Mia Moore, he realized that she lived by the same creed. If he had been half as calculating as Mia Moore, his family would not be lined up in metal coffins under the dirt. Since the death of his father, Mecca and Mia Moore played a deadly game of cat and mouse. There was no prey among them. They were both predators. With no sheep to slaughter, they had gone at each other's throat, and it all culminated in this one moment. He pitied the fool who looked at Mia Moore and underestimated her. I pity the fool. Her pretty face had hidden the ugliest of intentions, and it was only by God's grace that Mecca hadn't ended up on the other side of her gun. They stared at each other silently, and for a brief moment, they came to a mutual understanding. Just do it, she whispered as tears finally came to her. If anyone had to do it, it may as well be you. You're just like me. 
Her words connected with Mecca, digging a hole straight to his heart as he nodded his head. Mia Moore was tired of fighting him, tired of feeling guilty for being the way that she was. She was ready for this to end. Tell Carter I'm sorry, she whispered, barely audible. Mecca pulled the ends of the chain, cutting off Mia Moore's oxygen supply instantly. He pulled so hard that the metal pierced her skin, causing it to become raw as her eyes bulged in distress. Mecca gritted his teeth as he stared at her while choking her to death. The light in her eyes began to dwindle, and the sound around her became muffled as a natural reaction to fight overcame her. Her body jerked violently as her lungs begged for air. The tighter he pulled, the more her body rebelled, but she was helplessly bound to the chair. All she could do was die. Ah! Mecca roared as he pulled tighter and tighter on the chain. You're just like me. Her words were played in his head, taunting him and reminding him of the evil that lived inside of them both. Mecca stared into her face with anger, with resentment. But when he saw his own face staring back at him, he froze. Sympathy poured into his heart as his chest became heavy. She's right, he thought as he backpedaled and put distance between them. Taken aback by the naked truth, he realized that as much as he hated Mia more, he could not condemn her. He was not without sin. Her lungs felt as if they were on fire, and she coughed uncontrollably and sucked in as much air as she could. Mecca felt as if he were going insane. For so long, he had dreamt of this very day. He had never hesitated to make an example out of a motherfucker. But with Mia Moore, it was different. Killing her would be like killing himself. They were the same. They both had blood on their hands. And their hate for one another kept them teetering on the edge of insanity. Just do it, she said with no more fight left in her voice. A moment of clarity passed over Mecca as he turned away from her and placed his hands on his head in distress. Something bigger than Mecca's conscience was coming into play. The universe was intervening. It wasn't in God's plans for me and more to die. Not by Mecca's doing. I can't, he whispered as he lowered his hands to his side and allowed the chain to fall to the ground. Mia Moore was barely conscious as she craned her head to the side and replied, What? The blood that fell into her line of sight clouded her vision, and she was so close to giving up that she knew she couldn't have heard Mecca correctly. I am you, Mecca whispered with sorrow as his own tears came to his eyes. He quickly pinched the bridge of his nose and shook the emotion away. Mecca was evolving right before Mia Moore's eyes, and she was so close to death that she was missing the sight. I should fucking kill you. You deserve to die, Mecca stated, larcenous venom lacing his tone. But something in me won't allow me to. You need to leave town and stay the fuck away from my family. Mia Moore's eyes opened and closed weakly as silent tears flooded down her face. Don't contact Carter. Don't even enter the city limits. You need to leave Miami. Disappear. If you don't, the next time we cross paths, I will cut your fucking head off, Mecca raged. Hey Siri, what's the definition of retcon? On it, as a noun it means in a film, television series, or other fictional work, a piece of new information that imposes a different interpretation on previously described events. Typically used to facilitate a dramatic plot shift or account for an inconsistency. 
Do you want to hear the remaining one? Yes, please. As a verb, it means revise, an aspect of a fictional work retrospectively, typically by introducing a piece of new information that imposes a different interpretation on previously described events. This was a retcon, plain and simple. Like, are you serious right now? Also, hey Siri, what's my name? You're Derek, but you asked me to call you Megatron Destroyer of Galaxies. Goddamn right. Mia Moore wept as his words pierced her ears. She had never felt more connected to anyone in her life. Mecca was her adversary, but today he chose to be her savior. If he could put his prideful vengeance aside and leave her with air in her lungs, then he deserved to see her break. Mia Moore lifted her head, her neck bobbling loosely as she felt every broken bone in her body. I, I'm sorry, she whispered. Mecca stared at her in hatred while forcing himself to remain composed. Disappear, he said with finality. Leave and never come back. He was instructing her to do the very thing that he wished he could do. He was pardoning her and forcing her to start over. All she had to do was pick a place and act as though a girl named Mia Moore had never existed. Mecca turned and walked up the steps with an agonizing ache in his heart, but a lighter soul. His mind was telling him to put a hollow tip through Mia Moore's chest, but his spirit was teaching him the hard lesson of forgiveness. He never looked back as he left Mia Moore. He was afraid that his rage might change his mind if he ever saw her face again. Mia Moore waited until she was sure the Mecca had gone before she lost all composure. The cry that erupted from her battered body reflected years of pain. No one knew the things that she had suppressed, but deep inside she knew the Mecca understood. He did her no favors. She was still bound and beaten near extinction, but he had left her with a tiny chance to survive. He owed her nothing. So that tiny act was a gift. It was ironically the kindest thing that anyone had ever done for her. Mia Moore grunted in excruciating pain as she used her body weight to tip the chair on its side. She wasn't ready to meet her maker, and the only thing stopping her from surviving was the rope that bound her. She pulled with all her might, but the beating she endured had robbed her of her strength. She was too weak to break free, and as she twisted her wrists, the friction burned into her skin. Ah! She screamed out in frustration before finally giving up. The room spun around her as she laughed in and out of consciousness. God forgive me were the last words to escape her crusted lips before everything faded to black. Mia Moore's eyes opened slowly and her heartbeat rapidly increased as she awakened from her four-day slumber. She was on full alert as her senses kicked into full gear. Her eyes darted around the foreign room disoriented and confused. The sterile smell invaded her nose, making her ill instantly. It was so dark that all she could see was a fluorescent light that shined in the hallway, outlining the door to her room. Her pain was so great that it was immeasurable. Bruised and battered, Mia Moore was beyond repair. What she needed most was time for her body and mind to recuperate from the trauma she had endured. How did I get here? She thought as she lay deathly still. I have to get out of here. If Mecca finds me... 
The steady tone of the heart monitor and busy sounds of medical staff scurrying about outside of her room gave away her location. She was in a hospital, but she had no idea how she had gotten there. He told me to leave town. If he gets wind that I survived and that I'm here, he'll come finish the job. Panicked, her body temperature began to rise, and her pulse raced as fear caused her adrenaline to soar. Mecca had instilled a permanent terror in her heart. She had never been afraid of anyone until now. Not even God had taught her a lesson so tough. Mecca had given her the craving to live, and in order to do that, she had to get out of Miami. Fast. Her panic caused the machines around her to sound off, and she cursed herself silently. Mia Moore knew that the police would undoubtedly have questions for her that she wasn't prepared to answer. She closed her eyes just as the handle on the door twisted open. Playing possum, she listened to the commotion around her. What's going on with our Jane Doe? The doctor asked. Blood pressure's up. Heart rate is elevated. A nurse responded. Mia Moore lay still as they checked her vitals. With her eyes closed and ears open, she listened carefully. She's lucky that those kids found her when they did. Another day and she might not have made it, the nurse said with sympathy in her voice. I can't imagine why someone would hurt a young woman this way. With their injuries, I'm surprised she's even alive. The doctor, focused on his job, merely grunted a reply. He had seen much worse in his ten years on the job. He wasn't emotionally attached to the patient like the young novice nurse. Really? Because real men have no feelings, even in the medical field. Monitor her closely, he finally said as he jotted notes on Mia Moore's chart. As soon as she wakes up, inform me and call this detective. The doctor handed the nurse a card. He would like to speak with her immediately. They're running her prints now to see if they can gather some information on her. Mia Moore's internal alarm sounded off. She was in trouble. If those fingerprints came back, her juvenile records would pop up, giving them her government name. She had committed so many murders over the years that there was no telling how many times she had slipped up. In her mind, she had been so careful, so untouchable when she hit her marks. But all it took was one mistake, one partial fingerprint to lead the police directly to her. Every doorknob she had ever touched was now threatening her anonymity. Had she been careful every time, all of the time? Mia Moore couldn't be so sure. Mia Moore tortured herself as she scrolled through her mental Rolodex, recalling every nigga she had ever hit. But the possibilities were endless. If those fingerprints came back, her freedom was in jeopardy. She waited until the nurse and doctor left the room before she shot up out of her bed. I've got to leave here, now. She reached over and shut off the machines, then ripped the IV out of the front of her hand, wincing as blood trickled down her wrist. <clears throat> She grunted while using all her might to meander out of the bed and stand to her feet. They instantly gave out underneath her, and she fell hard to the cold tile below. So, she has no muscle mass after four days. But money could walk without a wheelchair after five years. Mia Moore gripped the side of the bed, struggling to pull herself to her feet as she kept her eyes trained on the door. What should have been an easy task took all of her effort as perspiration gathered on her forehead. She steadied herself, panting hard as she willed her knees not to buckle. Her legs trembled like leaves in the wind and threatened to give out at any moment. Mia Moore had never been so weak in her life. 
The painkillers that had filled her with numbed the pain, but did nothing to erase her fatigue. Mia Moore's fear was greater than anything she had ever felt. Her back was against the wall, and Mecca had taken all the fight out of her. She struggled over to the door, using the bed rails as support as she slowly made her way across the room. Her body urged her to quit, but desperation fueled her shaky limbs. By the time she made it to the door, she felt as if she had run a marathon. The thin fabric of hospital gown clung to her sweaty body, and her eyes were wide and alert. Nothing had ever taken so much energy or effort to accomplish. The walls of the hospital were the equivalent of death row. She was just waiting around to die, waiting for Mecca to get wind of her whereabouts and come finish the job as he had promised. The light in the hallway blinded her as she put her bare feet on the cold tile. Mia Moore felt the room spin, and she closed her eyes as she leaned against the wall to keep herself upright. Her deep breaths calmed the world around her, and when she opened her eyes, a few stray tears slid down her cheeks. Overwhelmed, she took a step, avoiding eye contact with everyone around her as she crept along the wall. Doctors and nurses hurriedly bypassed her, too busy to notice that she was out of place. Mia Moore slid into the first supply closet she found. She rummaged through it silently, taking everything she could possibly need. When she found a pair of nurses' scrubs folded on the shelf, she immediately changed into them, knowing that they would help her blend in with the other workers. My wife is a nurse. I can tell you right now, first of all, scrubs ain't fucking cheap. Secondly, they don't give them away for free. They're not just going to be sitting on a shelf in a supply closet. Ever. They'll put them in their locker. Yeah. They'll keep them in their car. But they're not going to put those fucking scrubs up in a supply closet. Mia Moore tossed a hospital gown and stuffed gauze, alcohol pads, and a scalpel into her pockets before exiting again. This time, no one noticed her and she fit right in as she made her way slowly to the elevators on her floor. If anyone had looked down, her shoeless feet would have given her away. She slid into the elevators and sighed in relief as they shut behind her. Mia Moore's body was threatening to shut down, but she knew that if she lost her strength, she was dead. Ding! The elevator doors opened in the lobby, and when Mia Moore saw the entrance to the hospital, her heart fluttered. She was so close to freedom that she could taste it. Mia Moore walked out into the lobby, but when she saw three uniformed police officers enter the building, she halted. She turned instantly and crept into the stairwell, heading down. Fuck, 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 she whispered as she half ran, half stumbled down the flight of steps. She burst into the basement, but stopped in shock when she saw the dead bodies lying on cold metal slabs. Footsteps behind her resounded as she heard someone descending the steps. There was nowhere to run. Like a fly trapped in the spider's web, Mia Moore was stuck, and in her current state, she was too weak to fight. Mia Moore rushed over to the wall and fear pulsed through her. The steel wall housed metal drawers where bodies could be stored. Mia Moore pulled open the drawer, finding a cold, stiff body lying on a slab. She quickly closed it and moved to the next drawer. Another body. She looked back at the door, hearing a man's voice as it drew near. She rushed to the next drawer. She breathed a sigh of relief when she saw that it was empty. She climbed on top of the metal slab and shuddered when she thought of how many lifeless souls had lain there before her. Her stomach turned and she felt as if she would throw up. Doing the unthinkable, she slid the drawer closed. The instant drop in temperature caused her to shiver. 
Her chest heaved as if she had just run a marathon, and her mind played tricks on her as she imagined the bodies around her. It was so cold that her teeth chattered, and she covered her mouth, blowing into her hands to create some warmth. The space that she was in was so tight that she could barely move. Claustrophobia sat in as Mia Moore began to feel trapped. She had always been so composed, so strategic, but at this moment she was feeling emotional, irrational, and the death that surrounded her sent chills down her spine. Mia Moore wasn't used to being so vulnerable, and if she didn't get out of there, she would crack. She listened as the coroner worked, listening to music and humming carefree while she froze inside of her hiding spot. She didn't know how long she would make it without giving herself away. Suddenly, the entire refrigerator illuminated, and Mia Moore gasped as one of the metal slabs slid out. Mia Moore looked left, then right, and her eyes widened in horror as she realized how many dead bodies surrounded her. Some of them hadn't even been processed yet. Open gunshot wounds and lifeless eyes were all around. Her hands trembled as she cupped her mouth and she quickly snapped her eyes closed. It felt like she was lying in her own coffin, and if she didn't calm herself, she would explode. Her anxiety built as tears of frustration overwhelmed her. Stay quiet. Just stay quiet, she urged herself. The clang of the drawer closing caused her heart to drop into her stomach. This had to be punishment for the murder count that she had racked up. Now death was outnumbering her, and she felt as if she was going to lose it. Mia Moore was tortured for four hours as she waited for the coroner's shift to end. When she finally heard the coroner leave for the night, her limbs were so frozen that her body was numb. Mia Moore pushed her feet against the wall in front of her, causing the drawer to burst open. Her blue lips trembled and her teeth chattered as she climbed down. Mia Moore stumbled towards the counter and leaned against it for support as she shivered uncontrollably. Her entire body tensed when she heard the door to the morgue clatter open. Like a deer in headlights, she turned around. A middle-aged woman in a white lab coat stared back at her, stunned. Hey, what are you doing down here? This area is... Mia Moore doubled over and groaned in pain, clenching her abdomen, interrupting the woman's line of questioning. Oh, goodness. Are you okay? The woman asked as she crossed the room and came to Mia Moore's aid. It was the biggest mistake she could have made. Mia Moore slid the ten-inch scalpel from the pocket of her stolen scrubs, and using all her strength, she arose and wrapped her arm around the woman's neck. If you move or scream, I'll slit your throat from ear to ear. You got me? She asked. The woman was scared shitless and nodded her head in compliance. Now... Who else do you expect to come down here? Mia Moore asked. The woman was paralyzed in horror, and Mia Moore pricked her skin with the blade, causing the small trail of blood to begin to flow. Please don't hurt me, the woman pleaded. Then answer my question, Mia Moore said. She was so weak that the woman could have easily overpowered her, but she kept her voice steady, deadly and strong, hoping that the woman didn't test her. No one. I'm the third shift coroner. I work alone, she replied. Are you going to kill me? If you do what I say, you'll be fine, Mia Moore said truthfully. Mia Moore's mind spun as Mecca's threats clouded her judgment. He had told her to disappear. Mia Moore knew that she had no choice but to run. Run and never look back. The only problem was the two bad bitches she was leaving behind. 
Ares and Robin would never stop looking for her. As long as they thought she was alive, then their loyalty would keep them searching for her. I've got to die, she thought. Sit on your hands in the corner, she ordered. The woman did as she was told as Mia Moore walked over to the wall of the dead. She began pulling out the drawers, one by one, until she came across one that suited her. A black girl who was too young to be lying lifeless before her. The tag on her toe read Jane Doe. Damn, Mia Moore thought. I need her hands, Mia Moore choked out. Not even she believed what she was about to do. Mecca was pushing her to the brink of insanity. Her fear and desperation forced her to take drastic measures. What? The woman responded. I need you to cut off her fucking hands, Mia Moore snapped, this time more stern. The woman rose to her feet and meandered towards the surgical saw. She just wanted to leave the situation alive. Avoiding eye contact with Mia Moore, she did as she was instructed, shaking the entire time. After she was done, she put them in a plastic zip bag and handed them to Mia Moore. Please, I've done what you've asked. I have a family. Mia Moore walked over to grab the woman's leather briefcase. She emptied its contents onto the floor until she found the woman's wallet and keys. She grabbed her driver's license and read the woman's address aloud. 5471 Brookgate Court, Miami, Florida. The woman's eyes bulged. You have no idea who I am or what I look like. You were too fearful to look me in the face. You don't know anything. You can't remember anything. Those are the answers to your questions when the police ask. You understand? She asked. The woman nodded. Mia Moore pulled out an empty drawer. Get in, she said. The woman's eyes widened. Horrified as she began to cry, but she didn't protest as she climbed on top of the slab. Mia Moore removed the woman's shoes and then closed the door. Mia Moore fell backwards, letting her back rest against the wall as she breathed erratically and closed her eyes. Yes, she was a killer, but she was on some other shit at the moment. Not even she had the stomach for what she was doing. She grabbed the woman's bag and stuffed the hands inside, then stuffed her feet into the coroner's shoes. She knew she couldn't rest. She had to keep him moving. By now, the entire hospital knew that she was missing. Surely they would be looking for her. Mia Moore urged her legs to work as she stumbled from counter to counter, knocking over instruments and paperwork as she crossed the room. Finally, she made it to the door and slowly ascended the stairs. When she finally made it to the top, she was winded and sweating profusely, the scrubs clinging to her wet body. Nothing had ever been so hard to accomplish in her life, and her injuries screamed for her to stop, but she was like a shark. The minute she stopped moving, she would die. The exit sign that hung above the door was so close, yet torturously still so far away. Everything in her wanted to call for help. Needed young Carter to use his position and power to get her out of this mess. But she couldn't. Calling him would be signing her own death certificate. Because with Carter came Mecca. The blood bond they shared made her obsolete. Mia Moore half walked, half stumbled as she headed to the door. Her head was down, but her eyes stayed up, scanning the room. No one noticed her as she slipped through the double doors and out into the dark night. As soon as her feet hit concrete, she ran, falling repeatedly because she was barely able to stand up. Mia Moore willed herself to run faster. But the more steps she took, the more hopeless her escape became. She hit the ground, 
her feet unable to withstand much more. She scooted her back against a parked car and gripped the scalpel in her pocket. She fished inside the bag until she located the woman's keys, then hit the alarm button. Honk, honk, honk. Flashing lights and a loud car horn sounded off as Mia Moore looked around until she located the car. A brand new silver CLK called her name as she brought herself to her feet and rushed to the car. Mia Moore started the ignition and pulled off into the night as tears finally ran down her face. She sobbed so hard that she could barely see while making her escape. Mia Moore stumbled inside of her apartment and quickly rushed to her safe. She pulled out the money that she had saved up. 250000 to be exact. She then removed two 9mm pistols. She stuffed the cash and one of the weapons into a duffel bag, putting the other gun into one of her handbags for easy access. Mia Moore showered quickly and threw on more comfortable clothes before grabbing her bag and kissing her life goodbye. Mia Moore wiped down the stolen car, then got into her own as she put her new life together in her head. She checked into a seedy motel and gave in to the pain and exhaustion that crippled her. Mia Moore jumped out of her sleep and grabbed the gun from underneath her pillow, all in one motion, pointing it straight ahead of her. She breathed heavily as she looked around, paranoid as the drapes blew from the small breeze that came from the open window. I have to get out of here, she said. The sleep had done nothing to heal her ailing body, but it had given her enough time to clear her mind. She grabbed her car keys and headed out to her last stop. The sound of bells opening announced her presence as Mia Moore entered the tattoo shop. Tattoo art drawings covered the walls, and she looked around impressed, knowing that she had found the perfect man for the job. The hum of the tattoo gun resounded loudly in the shop as Mia Moore made her way towards the back. Hello? She called out. The buzz of the tattoo gun ceased, and a white boy with spiked hair and a fully art-covered torso appeared out of the back. What can I do for you? He asked. How much for a tattoo, she inquired. Depends on what you get. You got anything in mind, he asked. Two words, no color, just black, small font, she replied. That would be about $75, he said. Mia Moore nodded to the back where he saw a young girl lying on her stomach, waiting for him to return. If you clear the shop, I'll pay 7500 she offered. The tattoo artist chuckled slightly and began to turn away from her. Kind of bullshit you want, sweetheart, he said dismissively. She pulled out a knot of money and tossed it to him, instantly piquing his interest. He thumbed through the bills, finding all Benjamin Franklin faces staring back at him. Give me five minutes. Mia Moore smirked and waited until the shop was empty before she proceeded. So what do you want tattooed, he asked. Mia Moore pulled out the clear bag and tossed it to him. These. The man jumped back, letting the hands hit the floor as he knocked all of the tattoo guns on the floor. Holy shit, he cursed. Where'd you get these from? Are you insane? Mia Moore calmly sat down. Lower your voice. Rule number one, don't ask me any questions. Rule number two, you've got an hour to get it done, she said. Now. Are you in or out? Because if not, I'll be taking my 7500 to the next motherfucker. The man weighed his options in his head. His morality or the wad of money he gripped in his hand. As tightly as he was holding it, he knew that he wasn't passing up the opportunity. 
He'd have to do a hundred tattoos to make that kind of dough. I'll do it. He picked up the bag with his thumb and index finger, feeling his stomach turn. This is some freaky shit, the tattoo artist stammered as he wiped the sweat from his forehead. Stop bitching and just do it, Mia Moore stated. I need you to emulate this perfectly. Same font and everything. Mia Moore held out her own wrist to show the white boy her own artwork. Murder Mamas. The tattoo artist went to work, copying the tattoo perfectly. And when he was done, he sat back in admiration. I think it's a perfect match, he said. Mia Moore looked and nodded in approval. The man turned to bag the hands. Boom! Mia Moore sent a bullet through the back of his skull. She hated to do it, but he didn't seem like the type to keep quiet, and she couldn't risk anyone knowing she was alive. She grabbed the hands and put them in a prepackaged box, then dropped them at the nearest shipping store on her route out of town. The next day, Aries and Robin would receive her hands on the doorstep of their Los Angeles home. Once they did, there would be no one else to come looking for her. She would be dead to the world, dead to her old life, and she could heed Mecca's warning to forget that a girl named Mia Moore ever existed. It was time for her to start a new life. But what actually happened was, somehow, first of all, let's talk about the fact that she somehow knows their address. Because they didn't give it to her. They dipped mad and moved to L.A. And they didn't give her a forwarding address. They were literally on some fuck that bitch mode. Second, you didn't think that your girls would come looking for who killed you? Along with an ashy ass nigga named Murder, you didn't think that was going to happen at all? I mean, there's consequences to the actions that you're choosing to take. And we're not talking. And third, wait, how was there a body in the basement for Carter to find? Yeah, the hands. Yeah, that's dope. Yeah, whatever. Cool. But there was a body. It was decomposed. Whose body was that? Was that Fabian's? Are we going to find out later that Mecca came back and killed Fabian way back? So to recap, money's alive. Mia Moore's alive. Breeze is alive. Ipso facto, Mecca didn't have to die. I mean, I'm not mad. I'm not. I'm not mad at all that he's gone. I'm not going to front. The motherfucker was a motherfucker. But he did have to go. You're absolutely right. But he went based on a lie that he told. Mecca let Mia Moore go and told her that he never wanted to see her in Miami again. Mecca let Mia Moore go. So when there was a gun to his head, he could have told. He could have told Carter. You know what, bro? I'm in a better space in my head now. I'm a nice guy now. So I'm going to tell you, your girl is alive. Why is this family going to war on lies that they're telling? He told her to be dead. If I told you to go to sleep. I don't know. I can't really draw anything off of that. It happens all the time in many shows that we watch in many movies. They threaten somebody, they torture them, and they tell them, get gone. And she knows if she didn't, then she was really going to be gone. So, 
she had to make it seem like she really, really was. Yeah, cool. She worked all that out. But Mecca knew. And if you have a gun pointed to my head because you think that I killed the love of your life and I didn't, you know what I ain't going to do? I ain't going to die because you think I killed the love of your life. But he was also struggling with the inner turmoil of what he thought he did, which was also killing his brother. Yeah, no, that's Mecca. Yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. I'm talking about Young Carter. If Young Carter has a gun to your head and he's like, you killed the love of my life. Wait, mm -mm. I didn't. Gotcha, bitch. You didn't ask me. You didn't ask me the right question. I know how y'all Virgos get down. You didn't ask me. Is she alive? And the nigga went to the confessional booth and confessed that he killed Mia Moore when he didn't kill Mia Moore. Why is he confessing to an empty room something he knows is a lie? Yeah, I still think in Mecca's mind that was his, like, all right, I'm going to pay for all of the hurt and pain and bloodshed and loss. That I caused because he was also inadvertently the result of his own mom's death. Yeah, that's cool. You so, know, I just think like that was why he didn't speak up and didn't say anything because he was struggling with that in the prior chapters, as we heard. And I think that he knew because he had said himself that that was going to happen. Yeah, he said it all the time. So it just manifested itself and he was like, all right, I made peace with it already because I knew this shit was coming. Corporal punishment. Did you used to get whooped when you were a kid? Yeah. You used to get whoopings? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. On a scale of one to ten, with one being the lowest, not ever going to ha- no, zero's the lowest. From a scale of zero to ten, zero being it's never going to happen and ten being it happened all the fucking time. How often did you willingly take a whooping for something that you didn't fucking do? Um, I wouldn't say I did it often. So this nigga, a gangster through and through, is not going to die for something that he didn't do. That's what doesn't make sense to me. The way they wrote him out. There's no way for him to convince Carter that it didn't happen. I didn't kill her. Here's the proof. What proof would he have? Here's the proof. Your word don't mean shit to me. Nothing. He went to the apartment. He found a body. Like, there's nothing that you can say that's going to make me believe that you just let her go. When I think back and I've seen the hatred that you had, and I've seen all of the times when you were actually like plotting, I didn't realize it. But now when I'm thinking back, I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, you. Yeah, you wanted this to happen. You was trying to get at her for a minute. So, now you're going to tell me that, oh, she ain't really dead, then where's she at? Oh, I told her to just disappear. Okay. Really? Not believing it. Because at that point, he's thinking, you killed your own flesh and blood. You going to really have me thinking that you going to spare the life of this person that you don't even know that you hate? Get out of here. It turns out that he's really fucking bad at killing people he knows. The only person he killed was his mom, and that was on accident. That was an inadvertent foul. But they didn't know that? Yeah, I know they didn't know that. So, that's what I'm saying. It 
nothing. It wouldn't have changed the dang thing had he spoke up. And he knew that. Which is why his ass didn't say nothing and he just took one. I ain't taking one. Y'all gonna have to believe me. It's like when you say you sitting on the remote. I ain't sitting on shit. What a move. I ain't moving. Then you sitting on the remote. I ain't sitting on it. I'd, I'd fight tooth and nail. We'd have to go to like In-N-Out Burger and flesh that out over a conversation of a double-double because I ain't about to get shot for murdering somebody I ain't murdered. I murdered a lot of motherfuckers in this book. I laid everybody down. But I ain't going down for the one person I let go free. Shit. Nigga, what? You have no evidence. The first time no that evidence. I have done a lot of things in my life, but the first time... I did something absolutely perfect and nobody was around to see it. You know what I did next? Shit. I told people I did something perfect. I ain't going out. He ain't telling nobody he let her go. He got a reputation to uphold. Not to death. Clearly. Then he's stupid as fuck. Well, we all know that he was very out of his mind at moments. He's dumb as fuck. And everybody came back to life like, where's Mecca? <laughs> Everybody literally respond except Mecca. Whew. Thanks, baby. I love you. 916-633-1537. Wretched and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Leave a review on Podchaser. The cool thing about it, you can leave a review for the episode or for the show as a whole. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or buymeacoffee.com slash sscast and if you're listening to it on uh, Good Pods, thanks, I appreciate it you can leave us five stars and then you can go to the tip jar and leave a donation all donations go towards buying books that's it, books thank y'all so much for listening, I greatly appreciate it I also want to know how the fuck those kids found her, like are those kids just going into fucking vacants, is this the wire now like what exactly happened for those kids to go downstairs and find her laid out and did they not do everything that they said they did to her like with the chain and all that kind of shit like i know he choked her out with the chain but did he not whip her with the chain till her flesh was raised and all that kind of shit because she walking around kind of easy like four days afterwards we're in the dreams i guess that was part of the dream sequence yeah y'all be good i'm holler at you later long episode you're welcome peace and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name,